Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hang on the Holy Land, the Land Grant Holy Land's flagship podcast. Going to be a bit different of an episode for you guys this week. Not a preview episode, clearly, as Ohio State is on their bye week at the midpoint of their their college football season, sitting at five and one. The one loss being to Oregon, and then obviously, you know, the the five wins. Uh, they had the season opener against Minnesota, a weird one against Tulsa, and then the team has really rolled in the last few weeks against Akron, Rutgers, and Maryland. And, uh, you know, Josh, we've talked about here and there after these games and before some of the other games, we don't really know how much to take from a lot of these games because of the the quality of opponent. But I think it's pretty obvious that this team is at least different than the team we saw play those first two games against Minnesota and Oregon. And whether, you know, they're totally fixed, all their problems or not is, is remains to be seen. But the remaining schedule for Ohio State here will certainly provide us lots of opportunities to see just how good this team is and if they are indeed a playoff caliber team. And, you know, based on what we've seen so far, the offense looks like it is. The defense might not be, but, you know, there will be opportunities on both sides of the ball to see just how good they really are. Yeah, based on what we've seen, it's sort of been a a tale of two seasons within six games, really, the first three games and the last three games. I I think they're definitely trending in the right direction. But, and we'll kind of get into it as we discuss the rest of the schedule. I I see Ohio State handling the rest of their opponents easily, but they're also all interesting games, you know, like I can't with 100% confidence say that the team that we saw the last three weeks is the team that we're going to see going forward. So, well, I think they could go out and beat the rest of these, these teams, even with three of those teams being in the current top 10. Um, they're also not daunting at the same time. Like it's this weird dynamic. So um, again, the Jekyll and Hyde, sort of way that they played through the first month and a half has really thrown me off the scent. I don't know really what to think moving forward, but I guess at the end of the day, I'm saying they are trending in the right direction. I feel good about where they're at now. Yeah, and we'll get to the rest of their schedule in a little bit as we talk about kind of the Big Ten at large and the way that this conference has looked early on in this season. But, you know, I think there's a couple interesting storylines for Ohio State here that are worth talking about in the early goings of this season and maybe some that we some that we expected, some that we didn't expect. You know, I think one of the big storylines for this team is just how much of a role a lot of the young guys on this team have played. Obviously, you know, we knew that C.J. Stroud would be the starting quarterback as a first-year starter. Uh, we knew that Trayvon Henderson would probably be, you know, a, a producer for this offense in some role. I don't think we quite 
quite realized just how good he would be right out of the gate and that he would be this this star running back right out of, right in year one. But, you know, on offense and defense, especially on defense, you know, you have a guy like Denzel Burke that, you know, nobody really expected to, to be a huge contributor, and he's now the team's top corner. You got a bunch of guys that haven't played much in, you know, Cam Martinez, Court Williams, Cody Simon. Uh, the ends, you know, we expected J.C. Tuimaloa and Jack Sawyer to play big roles, and it seems like those are increasing with each given week, so... You know, a lot of the defensive resurgence, which is what this team needed after those first couple weeks, has been led by these young guys and these freshmen. And I think that's really positive to see and a really good outlook, at least for Ohio State's future, if not for this season. But, you know, I think that that's one of the biggest storylines for this team is how young this Ohio State team is and how well, you know, a lot of those guys have been able to put it together even just through the six-week period. It looks like a lot of them are are now very comfortable both on offense and on defense. They're learning their roles, and I think the coaching staff is learning how to use a lot of those guys to the best of their ability. So I think, you know, as, as far as the positives for this team in the early goings, I think that the play of these, these freshmen and even these second-year guys and even some guys that, you know, ha- have played roles in the past but are now coming on in a different way, like a guy like Marcus Williamson or... Or, uh, you know, guys of that nature, guys that have kind of sat in the background and now are finally getting a chance to play. A lot of new faces are stepping up for Ohio State this season. I think that's a big positive. Yeah, the youth movement has served them well thus far. And if I'm being completely honest, I they have exceeded my expectations, even with the, you know, the sort of pissing and moaning that we've done, that other fans have done. The youth, the the guy, the young guys on this team have surpassed my expectations in this sense that I I thought that there would be more bumps in the road early on. Yes, Oregon was a big bump in the road. They They didn't always look great against Tulsa, but we have to keep in mind that these are 18, 19, 20 year old kids. Some of them, a lot of them playing their first college football games, first college football minutes. And so, you know, we, we as fans think that it's just simply as easy as rolling the ball out. And because of the talent, we're going to dominate each and every week. And I wasn't sure if we'd see that And really on paper outside of that Oregon game. If you look at the box scores and look at the yardage and this, that, and the other, we have dominated. We've got one of the best offenses in the country. Our defense has actually, it's up to number 34 when it comes to uh, points per game, they've given up 12 points per game over their last three. So everything is really trending well right now. And I don't know if I saw it this early. I thought that the Minnesota game would be more of a struggle than it was the Oregon game. Yes, I was confident, but it wasn't a shock to me. And if anything, the Tulsa game was more, in line with my expectations. I thought that there would be more struggles than there have been early on. And that's why I say that the young guys have exceeded my expectations. You've mentioned a number of them starting, playing big minutes. They are some of the more uh, vital contributors to this team. And that doesn't always happen. You know, this could have been a reload year, definitely not a rebuild. Again, with the talent we have in the locker room, it was never... We don't often rebuild, but a reload would have been a fair expectation. And really, who knows? Um, There are some difficult opponents on the schedule, and these are still young guys. They've looked great for a couple of weeks now. But as we get into more Big Ten play and into the later months, we may hit some of those bumps in the road at inopportune times. So I'm not ready to say that. This is, you know, the best freshman or sophomore group that we've ever seen come through Ohio State, not by a long shot, but 
a lot of them have played really, really well right now. And without some of them, this might be a four and two football team. Who knows? So they've looked really good early on, especially CJ Stroud, Travion Henderson. And I think the guys on defense are really coming along. That was probably my biggest concern coming into the season. And we've talked about it on previous pods, the secondary, especially a lot of youth back there, a lot of, even if they're not the most youthful guys on the team, a lot of inexperience back there. And they've been uh, one of the strongest units on the team, really. So kudos to those guys. They've picked it up. They've learned. They've developed uh, at a pretty quick pace here. And coaching-wise, too, we've started to figure them out. That's probably the, been the biggest adjustment, the coaches figuring out the players. And, uh, um, you know, all, all the things are coming together at the right time. They just need to continue that momentum moving forward. Yeah, and as much of like a, a a real eye opener as the Oregon loss was, I think the real the real point at which this season flipped is after that Tulsa game because I know you know on paper Ohio State won that game forty one to twenty, but you know anyone who watched that game knows that that score really wasn't indicative of how that game played. Ohio State struggled on really both sides of the ball for much of that game, and it really wasn't pretty against a Tulsa team that honestly isn't quite good. So you know after that they played an Akron team that's one of the worst teams in college football, and they won fifty nine to seven. And, you know, even though they were able to do that, you know, even though it is Akron and a team that's really bad, just seeing them finally able to take care of business against an opponent that they should easily handle was a good sign. Because, you know, Tulsa was another team they probably should have been able to beat by by a similar score. If not, you know, the scores we saw against maybe like a Rutgers, like a 52-14, something like that. That should have been what the Tulsa game looked like. And it certainly didn't look like that. And it certainly didn't feel like that. And from from Oregon on, yeah, from from schedule. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Gene. The schedule really did them no favors. We talked about that again preseason. That Minnesota game that was a wild card. First, uh, first action for a lot of these guys against a Big Ten opponent. We weren't opening up the season against a Ball State or or a team like that. And so, to go from Big Ten opponent to highly ranked Pac-12 opponent, the Tulsa game was really the the season opener. For me, it was sort of the reset. It was like, okay, hey, we're one and one. We've got 10 games in front of us. And we learned a lot about that team and maybe where some of their deficiencies were. And then after that, it was like, okay, now we've really finally reset. We've been able to catch our breath and kind of um, not, not bring back, not earn, but develop some of that confidence that we didn't have from the first couple of games. Yeah, for sure. You know, since those games, like that's that like the the way that Ohio State has won these last three games against Akron, Rutgers and Maryland is kind of how we expect Ohio State to win games against teams that they're just far more talented again. And, you know, we didn't see that against the Minnesota team that has turned out to be not good. You know, obviously they lost to Oregon. Oregon is still in the top 10, but they're not quite as good as, you know, they were they were in that game and the way that Ohio State made them look. And, you know, since then, since the Tulsa game where they, they won that game, but not pretty, they've been able to change some stuff. They've moved some pieces around both personnel and scheme. And now they're playing like a much better team and I know the level of competition isn't quite you know the highest it's been all year but it's still just a good sign to see that they're able to do it against someone because it shows that they're you know they're working on stuff they've been able to like because of these games have been so lopsided they've been able to test some stuff they've been able to get some different guys in there show some different looks and I think that's all really beneficial going into this bye week and now next week you know they're gonna go on the road at Indiana at night that's gonna be a big game I know Indiana isn't quite as good as many expected them to be this year but that's still you know another step up in competition from a Rutgers in Maryland they have a Indiana still has a really good defense I don't quite know the status of Michael Penix right now but 
if he's in there, you know, they have a pretty decent passing offense, which is something that Ohio State hasn't really faced quite yet. We thought they'd see it against Maryland, and they played well against it, so maybe they did do a good job, and maybe Maryland's better than they looked, and that Ohio State's just playing well right now. But, you know, the level of competition is going to keep going up, but it is good to see that Ohio State has been able to, you know, handle business in games that they should, because even through those first three games, you know, with the loss notwithstanding, they weren't even doing it against, you know, Minnesota and Tulsa, even though they won those games. Yeah, Gene, I want to ask you about um, these last three games where Ohio State has sort of run roughshod over the, the uh, competition. Do you think that those three games were bigger for, more important for C.J. Stroud or the defense? Because both of those units or, you know, those entities sort of had a lot of questions coming into that stretch. So, you know, C.J. Stroud has balled out these last three games. The defense has really seemingly turned a corner which sort of uh, area or, you know, CJ Stroud versus defense, who do you think has benefited more from the last three weeks? You know, as much as, you know, we the defense has been the focal point of everything, I do think it's CJ Stroud just because of how how confident he looks now in this offense and how well this offense is running. You know, this is this is now the number two offense in the country, and it, it looks like it on the field. Like, they're doing everything they want at will. CJ Stroud is hitting seemingly every throw. He's making all the right decisions. He hasn't thrown a pick in two weeks. He's thrown 10 touchdowns in that time. And, you know, those are two, you know, it's, it's Rutgers and Maryland, but those are still two Big Ten opponents. Those are games where you could still, you know, if CJ Stroud makes a bad decision, he'll throw a pick. They have some good, you know, some, some good linebackers and some corners on those teams. I know Maryland was missing a few guys back there, but there's still two really impressive performances by him. And he just looks like a completely different guy ever since he sat out that game. It looks like his shoulder, whatever was ailing him, has since healed. And he's just, you know, he's doing everything right on the field. And I know, you know, people want to compare him to Justin Fields, but he doesn't have to be Justin Fields. You know, Dwayne Haskins and Justin Fields are both very good quarterbacks at Ohio State, and they're both very different quarterbacks. And C.J. Stroud himself is a different quarterback from those two guys, but he's playing well, and that's all Ohio State needs him to do. He doesn't need to be the next version of Justin Fields. He just has to be the best version of himself and I think that the the Stroud we've seen the last two weeks is that guy and I've, I've been very impressed with the way he's played you know obviously all three receivers he's throwing to in you know Olave Wilson and Jack Smith and Jigba have all been incredible and that has helped out tremendously but you still have to get those guys the ball and he's done a really good job of doing it and it's been a lot of fun to watch this offense roll with with a good a confident and a healthy CJ Stroud yeah see so I I'll look at it from the other side of things. I think that the defense, I think the last three games benefited them the most because I think that CJ Stroud, some way, somehow, one way or another, was going to figure things out. Maybe not to the extent that he has, right? Maybe not three, you know, 350, 400 yards a game, five touchdowns a pop, but I think he would have put up numbers. He has enough weapons he has an embarrassment of riches really around him to where I think that he would have figured it out even if we weren't putting up 50 points I think that this offense really with anybody behind center could put up I don't know 28 35 just by rolling the ball out the field on the field but the defense had a lot of question marks and they went through not turnover but they went through some kind of shuffling of the coaching staff obviously with Matt Barnes down on the field now calling a lot of the plays and I think if they had continued to struggle or they had given up 14 21 28 points a game to these last three opponents I don't know where their confidence level would be going up against increased competition right we're going to see better teams in the second half of the season so Now I think they've got that confidence. They've got that swagger and they're going to need it 
against the rest of the schedule. Whereas, you know, we could have relied on a Travion Henderson, or we could rely on him more moving forward. And maybe not everything would be on CJ Stroud's shoulder, no pun intended, but I think the defense needed to find something. I think that they have. And so their increased confidence is going to be, in my opinion, more necessary going forward because of the increase in competition, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, what's most interesting to me about this Ohio State defense is that the guys pretty much at every level that we expected to make the biggest impact this season really haven't. And, you know, despite that, you know, obviously the defense wasn't good to start the year, but the guys that, you know, in corners, we expected Seven Banks to be the number one guy. And he looks like a guy that's that's losing his job out there if if Cam Brown is healthy and Denzel Burke is playing. You know, at linebacker, we expected Dallas Gant to play a big role, and he's since transferred. On the defensive line, we've expected Zach Harrison to be that guy. And, you know, his last game, he looked pretty good. But to this point, it's been Haskell Garrett and Tyleek Williams and the freshman ends. So I think it's interesting to see how, you know, how well this Ohio State defense has been able to play these last few weeks, despite the fact that some of the guys coming into the season we expected to be the biggest contributors aren't really doing all that much or in Dallas Gantt's case aren't on the team anymore you know it's been you know the linebackers have been Cody Simon and Taraji Mitchell for the most part and I think they've played well we've seen a, you know a resurgence from Steel Chambers who I'm very impressed with at, at linebackers out of, out of seemingly nowhere uh, you know we've talked about the defensive line a lot that they have a lot of pieces out there they can use and I think if they could deploy them in the right way they'll be really good and then you know obviously Denzel Burke Cam Brown if he's healthy and then a litany of other guys back there in the secondary Cam Martinez taking on increased role we've seen you know Craig Young have some picks we've seen Ronnie Hickman in that bullet spot really excel so it's a lot of guys we didn't expect and the guys that we did expect haven't really done all that much and the fact that Ohio State's been able to build you know a seemingly competent defense without having their the guys we expect to contribute do anything at all is you know is pretty impressive to me given everything that this defense has been through this year yeah I guess in the aggregate things have turned out pretty well, right? We've had some guys that we expected more of underperform. And then we've had a lot of surprises from the young guys and the young defensive players, especially those are the guys that have really exceeded my expectations because I I don't even know what they were going into the season. I don't personally know kind of what I expected from a Ronnie Hickman or a Cody Simon, or certainly not a steel chambers at linebacker. So to see those guys step up, it has been a impressive, but b necessary because of the guys that we had expectations for coming in, maybe not playing up to their ability, or maybe our expectations for the, for them were too high in the first place. Seven Banks is definitely one of those guys. I mean, yes, he was fine last year. But then coming into the season, you you saw these prognosticators and like NFL draft scouts saying, yeah, he's going to be a first round draft pick and this, that and the other. And so, I, yeah, I sort of bought into that hype a little bit. And he has failed to uh, to play that well, really, in his time on the field. It seems like he's getting a little bit better week after week. But um, if it were not for some of those young guys stepping up to the extent that they have, I think this defense could still be in tr- trouble. I think that this defense is is one that we could we could have seen giving up those long plays like we saw last year, those big bust in coverage that we saw early in the season. So, yeah, yes, it's been impressive, but it really it's been a godsend for a, a unit that was really really struggling early on. 
Yeah, and I don't know about you, Josh. I don't know where you stand on the defense just as a whole as we move forward in the season. I'm not yet totally sold on what I've seen out there. You know, I've rewatched a couple of these games in between our last episode and this one, and some of these mistakes that these other teams have made have been a little bit unforced, especially some of the turnovers. Um, to, to Ohio State's credit, they've done a lot better job in the last couple of weeks getting pressure and actually getting to the quarterback and forcing them to make some bad throws. So you can't take that away from them if it's a bad throw and it's, you know, Ohio State forced it with pressure. But some of them have been unforced. I think there's still ways that this Ohio State team could be beaten on defense pretty easily. I think still a lot of that short stuff over the middle where you're, you're forcing the linebackers to kind of pick a depth is still a problem. I think a lot of the guys in the back end of the defense aren't the best at taking angles. Um, I think overall the tackling has been pretty good. You know, obviously had the missed tackle on Rakeem Jarrett this last week. I think like three different guys missed a tackle and let him score that long touchdown. But at, as a whole, I think the tackling has been pretty good. And I do think that with some of the cover two stuff, uh, they are able to hide some of the issues they have. And I like a lot of the blitz packages they've started sending out there. But I'm still not entirely sold on it. I'm not ready to say that Ohio State's going to go out there against like a Penn State and hold them to like 17 points. But I think it's good progress at the very least. I'm just I, I still am waiting to to see it to believe it. The problem is that I don't know how much of the Big Ten schedule is going to allow us to truly see what this team is on defense because I just don't know how many explosive offenses there are in this conference. It seems like a, a defense first conference that Ohio State's the only team with an explosive offense in. So it is interesting to see how that plays out, but I, I'm still waiting to see, you know, Indiana, Penn State will be bigger tests and I'll be you know if Ohio State looks really good on defense in those two games I'll be a bit more sold on it but to this point I'm not ready to say that you know this defense is fixed I think they made good progress but I'm not 100% in yet yeah is it hubris or is it development you know sometimes when you play with a certain level of confidence or you really approach anything with a certain level of confidence it's almost as if you can't fail right fake it till you make it um so is it that or have they developed so quickly over the last couple of weeks that this is the team that we're going to see going forward? And I don't know either. They're definitely going to be tested more than they have. You know, I really wish we would have seen Maryland with its full complement of players. You know, they lost uh, Dante Demas and they had some guys banged up. Uh, Tolia Tagavaloa. Um, has been turning the ball over left and right. I expected more out of him. So I thought that that would be more of a test than it really was. And as much as I'm not really in love with the offenses that we're going to see going forward, they will definitely provide um, more of a test. You know, Ohio State has not gone up against a Jahan Dotson or a Jalen Naylor, right? Dante Demas was probably the closest thing to those guys, but he missed the Maryland game, obviously. So the secondary, especially, they're going to be tested more than they have at some point, even by by Oregon. I don't think that they were tested that much. I, I think a lot of that was scheme, um, failed, missed assignments, things like that. So those numbers, yeah, they didn't look great, but I won't attribute those all to the DBs. So it's going to be interesting when they go up against even a, a Michael Penix Jr. if he's healthy um, with Ty Freifogel and Peyton Hendershot and guys like that. That's the next test, but there will be more of them as the season progresses. I'm, I'm really interested to see what's going to happen in that Michigan State game, second to last game of the season. Is Michigan State for real? They certainly seem like it, especially with that balanced attack. So we'll see where they're really at. They've got a couple more weeks to obviously continue to improve and hone their skill set and things like that. But um, the last three games may have been a mirage. I won't 
won't uh, I won't argue with that. You know, 15 sacks in the last three games, they're not going to keep up that pace. And the thing that I didn't like from uh, kind of press conference day today was Kerry Combs got to talk, and it was kind of good to see him get up there. And he still seems super invested. Um, you know, he's a Buckeye. He's an Ohio guy. Ryan Day has alluded to that. He seems like he still has the passion and he's 100% on board. But one thing he said is that we'll continue to see rotations on defense based on the opponent. And I don't know if I love that because I feel like the last three games, especially, they had started to kind of come up with a rotation that was working. And then they would, uh, you know, send some of the second team guys in later in the game when the game was out of reach keep the guys out there, man. Like keep your best 11 out there. I don't want them to get too cute and too experimental with these tougher opponents. So that's something that I'm not looking forward to it, but I am looking forward to how much they're going to um, really rotate. You know, that may be something to keep guys on board and keep them invested. Who knows how much we'll we'll really see that substitution pattern take place. But um, that was one of the, I I won't say disheartening, but that was at least interesting that that came up today because it it seemed like they had gotten away from that definitely early in the games. And now they've come back and said, yeah, you know, we're going to continue to rotate. And I don't know if that's the best thing for us. I think that, um, you know, at linebacker, I, I think you've figured out that Taraja Mitchell and Cody Simon and your, are your guys let them be your guys um, in the secondary. I know that they have to figure out the safety position. Well, try the same thing twice. You know, I don't think that I don't feel like they've done that. So I, it's not, it wasn't the best thing I heard today, but I, I will remain interested to see how much they actually substitute or is that coach speak to where they just want to keep guys um, on board and involved in the game plan and things like that. Yeah, I think rotations can be okay for this defense. I don't think what they were doing early in the year where they're basically rotating the entire defense in and out is is anything near sustainable. But if they're just looking to find ways to get, you know, in situational, if you want to get a Craig Young or a Steel Chambers or a Court Williams on the field, I'm totally fine with that. If you want to rotate in actually good players, that's fine with me. But, you know, there's no reason to rotate every guy on the roster, which is seemingly what we saw in the first couple weeks. So I'm hoping that's more of what they're talking about and that, you know, they're just trying to get their best players on the field. And I know they have a couple of guys at a couple of different positions that may not be starters right now, but are looking good in limited time. And maybe they want to get those guys some extra reps here and there. And, and, you know, maybe they have Craig Young. I'm on board. Exactly. And, you know, if they have guys, if they have a a unit that they feel is better against, you know, obviously passing downs or obviously running downs, that's that's something to look at as well. But, you know, I I don't think we're going to see the full wholesale rotation that we did early in the year, I think Ohio State learned pretty quickly that that is not something that they should be doing. But, you know, as you kind of alluded to here, and we'll kind of talk about here moving forward, um, the Big Ten this year, pretty good. Uh, Ohio State's (laughs) schedule is is pretty backloaded. The rest of their schedule plays out with, you know, they're at Indiana next week, then they have Penn State at home, they go to Nebraska, they have Purdue at home, and then they have the, the tough end of the schedule where they play, they host Michigan State, and then they go to Michigan and Ann Arbor. Uh, three of those teams ranked in the top 10. Uh, five teams overall in the Big Ten ranked in the top 10, including Ohio State at number six now. Uh, Josh, I didn't truly expect the Big Ten to look like this coming into the year. Obviously, you know, we were low on Michigan State and seemingly we were wrong. I'm still not 
100% in on them, but Kenneth Walker and that offense look pretty good, and the defense has been solid as well. So hats off to them for far exceeding expectations this year. Obviously, Iowa at number two in the country is weird to see, but they've played well on defense, and you know their offense is a whole other story entirely. But I, I think they're deserving of that spot for right now. Uh, Michigan is at number eight. You know, this is the the Michigan hype train has lasted longer than it usually does to this point. I am, you know, I still don't think Kate McNamara is the guy. Um, I think their rushing offense is pretty good and their defense has been solid. But, you know, we will talk about all these teams in more in depth, uh, you know, the weeks that Ohio State plays them, obviously, as we preview each team uh, given that week. But, you know, overall, Josh, the, the Big Ten looks pretty strong. And as we kind of alluded to, it's not really there's not a lot of high explosive offense in this conference, but there's a lot of good defenses. and There's a lot of teams where, you know, there's a lot of losable games on the schedule for Ohio State. It's not going to be a cakewalk to win out and, and make it to the Big Ten title where they would probably face Iowa. But. You know, it's going to be interesting. I think it's it's good for Ohio State to have these tests. You know, we saw what happens last year when Ohio State doesn't play anybody of note and then has to play, you know, a team like Alabama and they're not really prepared. So I think this will be good. If, if Ohio State is for real and they do win out in the schedule, I think it'll be really good to prepare them for the postseason. And, you know, I, I don't know if anybody's worried about Ohio State making the playoffs if they win out, but having three top ten wins on their schedule uh, towards the end of the year well, and then potentially four with Iowa – is certainly nothing to scoff at. I think Ohio State would be a shoe-in for the playoff at that point. So a lot of intrigue coming up. I like these games way more than I like watching a Rutgers in Maryland where the game is over at halftime. I don't expect a lot of these. You know, most of these games probably won't be over at half, and if they are, then Ohio State's really, really rolling. But it should be a fun back half of the season, and we will, you know, we'll learn a lot about Ohio State. By, the, by week 12, I promise we will know something about this Ohio State team. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a fair statement. Um, one thing I can say is that we did not crush our big 10 predictions, right? Um, Not quite. There, have def- there have definitely been a handful of surprises. You know, we're not going to play Wisconsin. Obviously, they're probably the biggest one in my opinion, but it's like I talked about at the opening. I, I still don't know if I buy into any of these other big 10 teams, at least on both sides of the ball, right? I think that there are a couple of teams that, you know, Iowa, they their offense or their defense, I'm sorry, is one of the best in the country. I think that they're going to live and die by their defense. But, you know, God willing, if we play in that Big Ten championship game against an Iowa, that offense doesn't you know strike any fear into me. I, I do not think that Spencer Petrus is anything special. I think Tyler Goodson and uh, Kelly Martin are both really uh, I, I forget his first name, but Kelly Martin, they're kind of one B back. I think those are those are a couple of good backs, but you could say that about a lot of Iowa teams, a lot of Iowa teams that we have taken on and beat and beaten, um, you know, with with a couple of exceptions that we don't need to bring up. But, you know, they're in the West. That's that's a long ways off. If we were to play them, it would be in a Big Ten championship game. But you just look at the. uh, The teams coming up, Indiana is down. Michael Penix Jr. I don't know if he's not recovered from his injury. Now he's got the separated shoulder. Um, he's been a turnover machine. And and really, you know, I think the game he had against Ohio State last year and a lot of his entire season last year was sort of fluky. You know, he flashes at, at points. I kind of feel bad for him because I feel like he is really good when he's fully healthy, but he just can't stay healthy. And I think that that is part of his problem, right? You know, he has not always been the most accurate passer, but that's because he has not been able to string a bunch of healthy games together. So maybe those sort of go hand in hand. Their defense has not been all it was cracked up to be. 
So, you know, Indiana is a real uh, enigma to be. I thought th- I thought that they were going to be fighting for maybe not first, but second in the Big Ten East. And who knows, maybe they'll turn it around. But I feel good about that game. Penn State. I still have to, we have to take them seriously. You know, Sean Clifford, you and I have both talked about um, our, uh, I don't know, disdain for his ability as a quarterback. And who knows if he's going to be healthy. I assume that he will. I tell you what, though, as much as we don't like Sean Clifford personally, their backup is not any good. So they really, (laughs) like Sean Clifford made, like his backup made Sean Clifford look like Peyton Manning. So they really need Sean Clifford out there if they're, you know, I don't expect Sean Clifford to be out long term. I don't have any inside knowledge on that. I just don't think his injury was all that bad. But they they need him to be ready in three weeks because if their backup's coming out there against Ohio State, it's going to be a long day. Yeah, but the one thing that Sean Clifford is, is he is experienced. And he brings a little bit of that dual threat dynamic enough so that he he can be dangerous. And if he's on, which is few and far between as a passer, he still you know, presents a problem. And their defense has been really good. They're number five in scoring defense in the country. So I think that'll be a tough game. But Penn State's had their own struggles, uh, especially just some of their play calling. That's a, a James Franklin special. Um has been off at times. I've questioned it at times. So who knows what we'll see there. I think that that is probably Penn state and Michigan are the two games that I really have circled as far as like, those are going to be the biggest tests remaining Nebraska. You know, they, they've had some tough losses, but you can say that during the whole Scott Frost experience, right? They have just, they have failed on the biggest of stages and they've failed at all of the wrong times, right? They've shot themselves in the foot. Taylor Martinez just, he hasn't figured it out in a decade. So, well, I'm not saying they're a a pushover by any means that game doesn't, um, doesn't strike a whole lot of fear into me. Purdue, I think is pretty dreadful. You know, they've got the eighth scoring defense in the country, but their schedule is nothing to write home about. I mean, they played Connecticut. They've been in a couple of low scoring games and their offense is pretty dreadful, especially for a team that's given us issues in the past, especially with the spread offense that they typically run. It's just not there. They're outside the top 100 and Michigan state, before we talk about Michigan, Michigan state for as good as they have looked. And I hope that I'm not going to end up eating my words here, but for as good as they have looked, I still think that they are a bit of a paper tiger. They're around 25 in both scoring offense and defense, but outside of Kenneth Walker, the third, I, nothing really impresses me um, from that team. Now, I, I'm happy for Mel Tucker um, that he got another job and he's doing well, but Look, Jalen Naylor is not going to average 50 yards per reception and go for 200 plus and three touchdowns against Ohio State. I don't think. Um, And on the defensive side of the ball, I think they just kind of piece it together. You could look at their schedule, too, and kind of pick it apart a little bit and say, oh, they played this team and that team. Um, Michigan State has leaned on the running game before, and they've had one explosive receiver before, and we've shut them down now. Obviously, they've taken down Ohio State a handful of years ago, but I think this is a different team, and I think you'll see some things from them as their schedule gets more difficult. I see them as a two- to three-loss team, and I see one of those losses coming against Ohio State. Um, 
And then Michigan, you know, I think that they are, I don't know if they're number eight in the country for real, but I think that they do pose a threat. I think that their defense is legit. They've got a lot of talent. The one thing Jim Harbaugh has done is recruit pretty well. Um, Maybe not so at quarterback, but he's got at least a couple of guys this year who they give him options and they're moving the ball and they've got a really strong running game. So um, I think Penn State and Michigan are the ones that I have the most concern about. I think that they're both going to be real tests. I could I hope that I'm wrong. I could see those being close and maybe Ohio State loses. But at the end of the day, if Ohio State plays up to or near its potential, based on what we've seen the last three weeks, I think Ohio State can run the table. I think a lot of that is dependent upon C.J. Stroud and the defense playing not up to the level it has, but at least close um, against some better competition. So, yes, there will be tests. Yes, I assume that Ohio State will be favored in all of those, but um, only two only two really scare me right now or semi-scare me, and, and I would say that those are Penn State and Michigan. I have a fun game to play for you, Josh. Without without looking at the stats, just using your eyeballs and what you've seen so far from these teams this season, who do you think is the top remaining offense on Ohio State's schedule by by team total offense in in the uh, like just by statistics? Oh gosh, well because I'll tell you what, it's probably not who you think. Yeah, you're you're probably right. Um, because Michigan State, because Kenneth Walker III has looked so good, and he's, he's racked up a ton of yards, and, and Jalen Naylor has had a couple big games, one very big game last week, I'll just guess it's Michigan State. You know, I, Michigan State is second on the list. They are higher than I expected, but I would have said probably like a Penn State or Michigan just because they put up you know some big points against some lesser opponents. The number one the, uh, offense on Ohio State's remaining schedule is Nebraska at number 13 in the country. Wow, is that yardage or points? It's total yardage, I believe. Team total okay, offense. Okay. So yeah, they're, uh, Nebraska loves getting yards and not scoring. They're a team that just doesn't know how to win football games, and they are the number one offense statistically Ohio State will face. They are followed by Michigan State at number 15 in the country. Maryland comes in third at number 33, so I've compiled all the teams that Ohio State has played and will play and also added Iowa in that mix as a team that Ohio State would likely play if they won out. Uh, who do you think is the worst offense Ohio State would play now, knowing that I included everyone Ohio State has played, will played, and Iowa? That was, It's got to be Purdue. Nope. It is the Iowa Hawkeyes at number 119 in the country in total offense. Purdue is actually 57th in the country. They're they're middle of the road in Ohio State's schedule. But, yeah, you want to talk about Paper Tigers. I don't know. Iowa has a really good defense, but they're not quite Georgia's defense, and I don't know if it's good enough to hold the number 119 offense in the country through an undefeated season. And I know their schedule the rest of the year is very, very easy, but... You know, all it's going to really take is Iowa to not force another team to throw five picks in a game, and they're going to be in trouble. Because, like, if Penn State, you know, if Sean Clifford didn't get injured in that game, Penn State probably wins that game by two or three scores. They looked like the better team in that game through the first half. Um, And Iowa's just not built to come back from big deficits because they can't score. They don't have a very good offense. Spencer Petras is, you know, I was wrong about Iowa and that they wouldn't be good, but I was right about Spencer Petras and that he is not a good quarterback. And they're just, their offense doesn't move the ball that well. And the reason that they've scored, you know, a lot of the points they have is because they're starting with the ball inside the opponent's red zone. And that's really not a sustainable way to play football. I know they're, they've been doing it for this long and it's kind of surprising, but you know, if you need a read on Iowa, they're 11 point favorites this week against Purdue. 
as the number two team in the country. That that simply just can't happen. Like if if Ohio State was number two team in the country, they'd be favored by thirty over Purdue. So I just you know it's hard to believe in Iowa. They do have the number one defense. Ohio State will play the rest of the year. They are number nine in the country overall, and I, you know that's just assuming Ohio State meets them in the Big Ten title game, but. Yeah, I just I'm not fully sold into Purdue. Just looking at some of the rest of the the Big Ten offenses here, like you said, Michigan State's two, Maryland surprisingly third, even after the Ohio State game. Uh, Michigan is the fourth. Uh, then Purdue, Penn State, Rutgers, Indiana, Minnesota, and Iowa. Ohio State is number two in the country in total offense, just for the record. So some of those are a little surprising. You know, I think Minnesota's offense would look a lot better had they not lost Mo Ibrahim in the in the Ohio State game in the early season. Uh, Indiana near the bottom is kind of what we'd expect based on what's been going on there. Penn State kind of middle of the road is, is a little bit surprising to me. I thought they'd be higher. And then, you know, Michigan obviously has the the powerful running attack and, you know, their quarterbacks have done enough to to supplant that as well. So not, not too many surprises outside of Nebraska, I would say, on offense. But then Defense is also a little interesting. Team total defense. I want to I want to jump in on that yeah. though, um, Gene, just because you brought up two teams in the West. Now, obviously, we we just sort of finished crapping on Nebraska, but the one thing I'll say about that team is Taylor Martinez is a wild card. Uh, he's a turnover machine. He shoots himself in the foot constantly. Yeah, but, Adrian Martinez should have beaten Michigan if he didn't fumble in his own red zone at the end of that game. Yeah, and he's a real dual threat guy, and that has given Ohio State issues in the past. It tends to give a lot of teams issues, and so I guess it's sort of twofold. I think that Nebraska is not done yet. Are they done as a contender? Yes, absolutely. I don't think they ever were one. I think Scott Frost might be done, but where I'm going to bring in the two teams is Iowa. You brought up their schedule. Purdue, Wisconsin, Northwestern, Minnesota, Illinois, they finish at Nebraska. The rest of that schedule is gross. Their offense is gross. Um, but November 26th, the last game of the regular season for Iowa and Nebraska could be Scott Frost's last game as a coach. I could see them pulling off an upset of Iowa because of Adrian Martinez and because Iowa has not seen another offense like that. You know, they should have lost to Penn State. They would have lost to Penn State if Sean Clifford had been healthy. 100% without a doubt, um, my mind is made up. They only won by three points as is. So I think they're going to fly through the rest of their schedule, but circle that last game. They're playing at Nebraska again. You know, um, Nebraska, they, they've sold out every game for the last hundred years. Seemingly the fans are going to be there. It could be a Scott Frost, you know, you win or you're out sort of game. If they haven't already decided, I am interested in that one just because of the dynamic that Adrian Martinez brings. And just the fact that I was not going to see anything like that until November 26th. And they struggled with it. They, I shouldn't say they struggled. Um, they could have struggled with it had Sean Clifford remained healthy. So um, I'm with you. I think they're a paper tiger. I think if they were to win out and, you know, God forbid they beat an Ohio state or somebody in the big 10 championship game, Iowa would lose by 30 to most CFP contenders. If they played Alabama, who I know Alabama just lost, Alabama would put up a hundred on Iowa. No doubt in my mind. 
I, I have a little doubt in a hundred, but I think it. You know, I think it'd be a good game. I think I don't know if Alabama's as good as as we think they might have been coming into the season. We will talk about that in a little bit when we get to college football at large. But yeah, I am also interested in that Nebraska Iowa game at the end of the year. And you know, I'm, I'm actually. Um, I think Scott Frost might be fine at the end of this year. I think that Nebraska has come along enough where you know I think he might keep his job for another year because they do look a lot better than they did earlier. And you know, we'll talk a lot more about Nebraska and where they are. You know, when Ohio State plays them, it could be a different story in a couple of weeks. That's that game is four weeks away, so who knows what will happen by then. But I think he's maybe done enough to keep his job. And if he does win that Iowa game, I think that solidifies him for at least another season with Nebraska. But yeah, you know, it, it'll be interesting. The West is is kind of a crapshoot. Uh, we'll see what comes out of there. I think you know, if if Iowa does finish that season undefeated and their only loss is to Ohio State in the in the in the uh, Big Ten title game, we could see Iowa maybe sneak into a playoff spot, depending on how the rest of the the college football world plays out, but we'll get to that in a little bit as well. Um, looking back at the rest of the Big Ten, team total defenses. Obviously, Iowa is the top team left on, on you know, not on Ohio State's schedule, but the top team left that Ohio State could play this year in terms of total defense at number nine in the country. Josh, who do you think is second? I, I'm 0 for 2. I suck at this game. Um, but remaining opponents, second best defense. Um, I, I don't know. I would say Penn State. It is the lovely Purdue Boilermakers at number 15 in the country. Interestingly enough, Minnesota is number 21 in the country, and Ohio State scored 45 on them on the road with a hurt quarterback in the first game of the year. So that's a bit interesting to me. Uh, Michigan right behind them at number 23. Penn State, number 26. Nebraska, 42. Indiana, 54. And then Rutgers, Maryland, and dead last in defense in the least on this schedule, Michigan State at number 94 in the country. So a little intrigue there, Michigan having, you know, the 94th best defense in the country. And also, like, you know, they're actually, you know, you would think of Michigan State as a more defensive-oriented team. But, you know, they're actually, their offense is carrying them through this far in the season. Uh, they did just play Rutgers, I believe, last week. And they, they won like a 31-13-ish to 13-ish game. So defense looks good against Rutgers. But I don't think that's that hard at this point with, with how their offense runs, which is kind of what we expect defend- Rutgers. I need to defend myself against Purdue, though. The reason, I, I I guess I'm not shocked by it, but if you go back and look at their schedule, though, Oregon State, Connecticut, Notre Dame, they, they kept it close. They lost by 14 points. Notre Dame stinks, I, not by Notre Dame. Yeah, but then Illinois and Minnesota. I mean, what are we doing here? That is um, far from a murderer's row of offense. You know, they gave up zero to Connecticut. You, me, the rest of the uh, land grant folks in the in the in our Slack group and on our website, we could probably hold UConn to less than ten. I mean, give me a break. Yeah, no, I mean it, they're definitely helped by their their schedule. These are not adjusted for opponents, so that that all certainly helps. You know, the same goes for Minnesota, who lost the game to Bowling Green. So I don't know how much you could take from all these rankings, but the, the stats are the stats. The numbers don't lie. So obviously, Purdue is the best defense in the Big Ten, and that's that's just the way it is. Um, Ohio State, interestingly enough, is at number 76 in the country, which, you know, after last year is an improvement. It's still not where you'd like them to be. But I do think that if Ohio State could even get to become like a top 40, top 50 defense, I think with how good their offense is, I think that would be enough to, at the very minimum, propel them to the college football playoff, if not beyond. Um, I don't think, yeah, I don't think Ohio State needs to be a top 10 defense to succeed, but... Um, I, I would like to see them higher than 76th for sure. Yeah, but they are in the top 40 as far as points given up go. Um, they're up to 34th there. So, 
yeah, they've given up quite a few yards, uh, sort of the bend but don't break mentality. But uh, a lot of those yards have also come in second halves when, especially during the, the last handful of weeks. So um, I, I'm with you. I don't think that they have to be a top 10 defense by any means, but the fact that they've figured out how to keep opponents out of the end zone is a positive development, I would say. Yeah. And, you know, kind of like you alluded to with the rest of Ohio State schedule, it does seem like Michigan will be their strongest opponent. They're the, the highest on the list on both sides. You know, they're the only team that's, you know, in the top four of, of Ohio State's opponents in in uh, total offense and total defense. So they have a pretty balanced attack. You know, we talked about, you know, Michigan State's good on offense, bad on defense. Penn State's, you know, good on defense, bad on offense. Or actually, Penn State's kind of middle of the road on both. Um, but they do have probably the best player Ohio State will play on offense the rest of the year with Jahan Dotson. So it'll be it's all interesting stuff. I think the Big Ten is a very weird conference. I don't know how much, you know, I think the national media at large kind of believes in a lot of these Big Ten teams. But people that live in Big Ten country and follow the Big Ten closely are looking at some of these rankings like, ah, I don't know about that. Like, you know, we talked about Iowa and, you know, I don't know, Michigan State. I think Michigan State's good. I don't think they're top 10. I think Michigan's good. I don't think they're top 10. So I think we'll learn a lot in these next, you know, six weeks-ish um, about what's going on. I think this has been a weird college football season overall where, like, everyone seemingly has very fatal flaws and it just takes the right team to expose them. And so... You know, the, the way, you know, I think the season could play out in, in, a, in a number of ways. I don't think that, you know, it, it's going to be a fun season in the fact that it's not going to be the Ohio State-Alabama, like, uh, Clemson playoff that we've seen every single year since it started. I think there will be some new faces in the in the field of four this year, which will be fun. But in the Big Ten specifically, I think, you know, Iowa will pretty much lock up the West. Even if Iowa lost to Nebraska, they'd still win the West pretty handily because everyone else is going to lose a ton of games. And then the East is going to be a, a pretty good battle between, you know, Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, and Michigan State. So it'll be fun to watch the remainder of the way. I think these teams are, you know, they're not all frauds, but they're, I think there's some some holes on a lot of these teams that could be exposed by the right team. And I think if Ohio State continues to roll on offense and gets that defense up a little bit higher, then they should be in pretty good shape. Yeah, I think I think I'm going to bite a, a lot of fingernails for the remainder of the season. Like I said, I think Ohio State should be favored. I think that they're capable of of running through the rest of this schedule pretty easily if they play like we've seen them play the last three weeks. But the season's been weird, man, um, across the entire national landscape. So it's not to say that Ohio State is without faults. I think you and I are both on the same page that there are still some. Uh, some unknowns or some things that we'd like to see happen more, happen less, this, that, and the other, but um, it's going to be interesting. That's the key word. And the end of the season, I think could be, could be a real crapshoot and a free for all. So I know you want to get to that a little bit and just talk about the national landscape too. Yeah, I don't want to go too deep into college football playoff stuff because we are only in week seven. There's a lot of football to be played. A lot of crazy stuff could happen as it always does. But as things kind of shape up at the moment, I would say, you know, my, you know, the cleanest way that the playoff could shake out right now, if everything goes the way that most people would expect it to go, Georgia goes undefeated, wins the SEC, defeats Alabama in the SEC title game. They're in at number one. I think they are clearly right now the best team in the country. Uh, the AP vo voters agree they are the unanimous number one in the latest AP poll. Um, I think Oklahoma, under Caleb Williams at quarterback instead of Spencer Rattler, uh, could probably win out in the Big 12, and, and they secure themselves a playoff spot as perhaps a one-loss or an undefeated Big 12 champion. 
Uh, so that's two spots locked up. Then, you know, the winner of the Big Ten will be in, whether that's Penn, whether that's Ohio State or Iowa or whoever else, maybe Michigan, maybe Michigan State. But, you know, we'll, we'll plan in this case that it's Ohio State. So that's three spots. And then having Alabama with two losses really opens the door for either uh, a, a Penn State non-champ, uh, not Penn State, an Iowa non-champ Big Ten or Cincinnati, who will likely be undefeated and will have ranked wins over Notre Dame. And uh, I'm I'm blanking on who else they played. Who else was their other good win? Uh, I don't know. Uh, Indiana, Indi- they had they had Indiana, but Indiana's there not good go. anymore. Um, so that's gonna be tough. I mean, the rest of their schedule isn't exactly pretty. They will play SMU, who's now ranked later in the year, and I think that'll be a really fun game. And I, I'm big. I'm a big proponent of Cincinnati. I think they are right now deserving of a playoff spot with the way they've played. You know, I said Notre Dame stinks, and I do agree with that. But for for Cincinnati's sake, and for wanting them to get in the playoffs, we kind of have to root for Notre Dame to be good, so it props up Cincinnati the rest of the way. I think it'd be cool to have a uh, an in-state uh, college football playoff game between Ohio State and Cincinnati. Uh, obviously, the last time those two teams played, Ohio State won forty-two to nothing. But I think the Cincinnati team is a lot better than that Cincinnati team was, even though they were kind of on the rise at the time then. And yeah, you know, it's just been, like I said before, it's been a weird year. And if there was any year for a group of five team to make it, it would be this year. And I think Cincinnati would be the team to do that based on having, you know, two, three straight years of, of really good success. And, you know, they're trying, they, they did what they could, you know, they scheduled these out of conference opponents. They scheduled Indiana, they scheduled Notre Dame to try to get them, you know, prop themselves up. And they, they won both of those games. They've done all they can do. And if they went out and finished undefeated, I don't see why they aren't deserving of a playoff spot. You know, even over a one-loss Iowa, just based on their you know resumes and how the teams looked, I think if Cincinnati and Iowa played on a neutral field, I would take Cincinnati every time. So, I think it'll be a fun race, but that's the way that you know I think the cleanest way it could play out right now. Obviously, a ton of stuff could happen. Georgia could lose to Alabama in the title game, and you wind up with two SEC teams. You know, Ohio State could lose to Iowa, and you have Iowa in the playoff. Uh, Oklahoma could lose because they're Oklahoma. You know, there's a lot of weird stuff that could happen. But I think the only things we know for sure are that the ACC and the Pac-12 are virtually eliminated because. The ACC doesn't have a single good team in it, and you know the Pac-12 was really relying on Oregon, and Oregon just had that really bad loss to Stanford, and they're you know they're still in the top ten, but I don't think they're going to do enough to perhaps play themselves back to the national conversation. Although they do have that win over Ohio State, and if Ohio State wins out and looks really good at the end of the year, that could look really good. So it's interesting. There's fun stuff to watch. I don't think all of it should be like focused on the playoff though. Like I've really enjoyed watching Coastal Carolina play. You know they're undefeated, sitting at number fifteen. I don't think they really have a legitimate shot at the playoffs, but I think they're a really fun team. You know, I think Texas is, uh, you know, I, I don't, you know, Texas is not back for sure, but I think they have a very fun offense under Steve Sarkeesian, and I think Bijan Robinson is one of the best players in the country, so they're pretty fun to watch. Kentucky's rise has been fun to watch with Will Levis and uh, Wandale Robinson. They're a, a knockoff Big Ten team with some of the leftovers from Penn State and Nebraska, so they've been fun to watch. I think it's a really good season. I've really enjoyed a lot of these weekends, and I think, you know, I'm hoping we see more of that moving forward. Yeah, so out of the teams that you've sort of mentioned, I think Oregon is probably the first cross-off for me. Now, normally that would not benefit Ohio State, but Ohio State has the strongest uh, strength of schedule remaining out of all of the teams, really. So um, that's really, I don't think, will come into play too much. But Oregon, they play no-ranked teams the rest of the year. They lost to an unranked Stanford, so they're sort of eliminated for me from there. I think Cincinnati runs the table. And I think if they do that, they're going to get in. Uh, I know they're not a, a a power five team, but they can only be denied or rejected for so long, right? They've been close. They've been close. They've been close. They've, they, uh, you know, 
won a big bowl game uh, or they played in, in big bowl games. So I think they make it this year because I just don't think they slip up. Um, the I think the only in. the only thing that keeps Cincinnati out of the playoff is if Alabama beats Georgia in the title game and they and then Bama and Georgia both get in, or if Iowa goes undefeated and loses to Ohio State and then that's their only. If it's a close game, like if Iowa gets blown out by Ohio State, I don't think they make it. But if it's a close game, like a one touchdown, one score game, I could see Iowa sneaking in over Cincinnati just because they actually played a Power Five schedule, but. Other than that, I think if everything comes up clean, Georgia wins, that fourth spot's going to be up for grabs, and I, I just don't see how they could deny Cincinnati at that point. Yeah, so there's the rub. Do two SEC teams get in? And I think that if Alabama you know, runs the table and they beat Georgia, who also runs the table, it just past precedent, everything we've seen, I think those two teams get in. And then even if that happens, I just I don't know how you leave – Cincinnati out and and hopefully it's not at the expense of an Ohio State but I could really see it happening because I also think that Oklahoma probably runs the table now I don't think they're a great team I think they're flawed in many ways I think that if they are willing to move forward with a freshman quarterback he could have his growing pains although he looked great at Texas Um, I don't think that they're really going to be challenged too much until if or when they play in a Big 12 championship game, um, which could, again, maybe be at Texas and, and who knows what happens. But, you know, they finished the season with Iowa State and Oklahoma State. Iowa State is not what they were cracked up to be. And Oklahoma State is ranked right now. I think they're number 12. But, I mean, we've been, we've been there and we've seen that before, right? Um, I don't consider Oklahoma State to be a, you know, big boy sort of contender. So um, that would be, it would definitely work against Cincinnati if those two SEC teams make it. But I just, I don't know how you deny them. And as far as the SEC goes, you know, everyone tells you that the SEC conference is, um, you know, the preeminent conference and this, that, and the other, but it's just not the case this year. Um Outside of Alabama and Georgia, the next best team is Kentucky. And who knows if they're for real? They they certainly looked the part so far. And Oregon, or I'm sorry, Georgia plays them in a week or two, I think it's if I'm weekend. not mistaken. Yeah, so um, that would definitely be an upset. I know that Kentucky's undefeated right now. And they've got Will Levis back there, quarterback, former Penn, former Penn State guy. But I just don't think that they have the firepower against this Georgia defense, which is just the, you know, the red and black curtain, it seems like. So um, lots of things to sort of figure out. And I think the feather in Ohio state's cap is yes, they've got a loss, but it was to at the time, the number 10th ranked team in the country. And they are going to play a murderer's row of opponents starting October 30th, you know, Penn state, Michigan state and Michigan, three out of their last four games, if I'm not mistaken, um, three out of their last five, I'm sorry. You know, that's legit. That's real. That's, that's something that they get to wear as a badge of honor. If they're able to defeat all three of those teams, especially when they're ranked where, you know, I don't see Penn state losing um, their next game. So they're you know, that's who we play on October 30th. That's the first of the ranked opponents. Penn state's still going to be ranked pretty high. Michigan State, who knows, but um, 
again, they're number 10 right now in Michigan. Um, you know, they might cannibalize each other, Michigan and Michigan State. But at worst, I think you're going to play all three of those teams with no more than one loss. So they're all three going to um, stay ranked. And that's what Ohio State can hold out to hold on to as far as getting into a CFP is strength of schedule. Um, it's probably one of, if not the most difficult schedules in the country moving forward. I don't have that pulled up in front of me, but it's got to be up there just based on where everyone is ranked right now. So if they take care of their business and win a Big Ten, a Big Ten championship game against Iowa, then I think it's hard to deny them as well. So all, all signs kind of point towards Ohio State and Cincinnati if they win out making it. That would be, you know, just as an Ohio guy, I, you know, I'm from Columbus, went to Ohio State. A lot of my family's in Cincinnati. Luke Fickle's the man. Um, that would just be awesome to get that matchup in the CFP. But I think if anyone is confident in their prediction right now, I think they're a liar. There is no way based on what we've seen so far this season that you or anybody else have has the utmost confidence in saying, hey, these four teams are going to make it. Um, you can prognosticate and maybe identify four that you're leaning towards, but we've seen some wild things happen, lots of crazy upsets. And so I think that we'll probably continue to see that happening because at the end of the day, I don't think there is one preeminent favorite. I don't think that there is one team that you can look at like we have in years past with an Alabama, even a Clemson at times. Ohio State has certainly been in that discussion. I don't think there is a I don't think that there is one team that has set themselves apart so far. And so I'm I'm not going to be to be surprised by any of the developments that we see for the rest of the season. You know, it could be teams that we're not even talking about right now. You know, um, may, maybe Oregon gets in by default because of the these other teams struggle and they come across a loss or. Maybe Kentucky is is now a football school and they can somehow run through the SEC because they don't play Alabama. They do play Georgia. They do not play Alabama. So, you know, who's, who knows what they can do? But um, we just keep coming back to it and we keep repeating it. Interesting. It is going to be interesting for the duration of the season to see what happens. Yeah, I'm going to push back on you a little bit just because I think that Georgia has clearly separated themselves as the number one team. I the only team in the country I trust in this football season is Georgia. I think that defense is just so, so damn good. I can't see how anybody would, but I can like score. Nobody scores points on them. They just don't let up points. It's crazy. And, you know, I don't think, I'm not super fond of their offense, but it's certainly not bad. And, you know, Stetson Bennett's been doing a good job running that offense. They've got a good running game. They've got a, a yeah. kind of a, a two headed monster back there for sure. Yeah, and I mean, they're just, they look so good right now. So if, if I'm going to pick one team just to trust, I'm obviously going to pick Georgia. But yeah, like you said, there's a lot on, behind them. It's everybody is, is kind of has a lot of question marks. I feel like not a lot of, not enough people are talking about how bad Alabama's loss to AM is because Texas AM is not good in any way, shape, or form. They were a two loss team going into that game. Zach Calzada is their backup quarterback, and he wasn't particularly good. Um, I mean, they lost him playing on basically one leg at the end of that game. So I don't, you know, Alabama's loss at this point is way worse than Ohio State's loss because at least Oregon is still a top 10 yes. team and Texas A&M is, is only ranked near the bottom because they just beat Alabama. So do you buy into the conspiracy? What conspiracy? The conspiracy that Jimbo Fisher lost a game or two so that it was more of a monumental upset 
when he beat his former boss, Nick Saban? Uh, I don't buy into it, but it would be funny. You know, Jimbo Fisher is the first former Nick Saban assistant to beat him in a football game. So that's always fun to see he's a lot of wildly streaks. overpaid. So if he were to do something, oh, sure. you know, just for, uh, you know, what's in giggles, you know, who knows? It's, it's not like he's banking his he's not banking his money regardless. Yeah, I mean, it was certainly a fun game to watch. It was back and forth there at the end. There was a lot of actually fun games that were like that. You know, Michigan-Nebraska was another game that was back and forth. Obviously, Oklahoma-Texas. So it was a good weekend of college football. I'm hoping to have another fun one coming up this weekend, especially with Ohio State being off and, you know, trying to trying to find something else to watch. There's not a ton of ranked matchups coming up this weekend, but there should be some intrigue as there has been every week. And kind of like we alluded to last week, if there's going to be a weekend where you want to do some fall activities, go some do some apple picking, do one through a pumpkin patch, do all that good stuff, this would be the weekend to do it coming up with Ohio State not playing a football game. Um, Josh, anything else you wanted to say about Ohio State, National, Big Ten, anything before we kind of wrap things up this week? Well, let me see if this shoots a hole in your confidence in Georgia. Um, you know, they've, they've got a slate of SEC opponents any concern over the uh, Charleston Southern game on November 20th? Mm, that is intriguing. I'm hearing that Charleston is one of the best teams in the country and is a very good team to schedule in the later weeks of the season as the SEC is going I, to I do. I hate that the SEC does that because Alabama has done it repeatedly. They're like, hey, you know, late in the season, let's just throw a stinker in there. Let's throw a bye week essentially in there. Let's play um, the Citadel in week 11. That's a fun thing to do. Yeah, and you don't like... I could be wrong, but I don't remember other conferences doing that. Now, the SEC certainly, you know, sort of front loads their schedule. Well, they play, no. they play one less conference game. That's why they could fit it. Yeah. And, you know, kudos to Georgia. They scheduled uh, Clemson early on. But, uh, but yeah, man, like I just that that always kind of eats away at me that in the in the height of like all of the the madness and the and the competition that happens at the end of the season you you see these SEC teams um that essentially have a bye week but that's kind of neither here nor there i took us down a different road gene i've got nothing else to add i am just uh i'm super excited for the rest of the season i think that ohio state's going to have uh challenges in front of it but i feel really confident in this team if it's the one that we saw the last 3 weeks and um you know i i just cannot say enough good things about CJ Stroud, especially uh, people were down on him and he has vaulted himself into the Heisman conversation. He's a top three, four five Heisman contender right now. Uh, Travion Henderson has been uh, a breath of fresh air. Although I think we all had some pretty high expectations for him. He has exceeded those. Our wide receivers are, just, you know, it's bananas, the talent that we have in that room. Those guys could potentially all go for a thousand yards. So I love where this team is at right now. I want to see the defense continue to improve. And I think it will do so as the younger guys get more and more experience because the youth movement has taken over, especially on that side of the ball. And uh, just in general, they're in a really good place as a team, I think. Yeah, you know, there was a point in this season, you know, after the Oregon loss and after that game against Tulsa where I thought this was an Ohio State team that could potentially lose three or four games. And I'm certainly not there anymore. Um, I, I think, you know, I don't, I'm don't. i not entirely 100% sure, as we've talked about, that they're going to win out. But I, I'm much more confident in them at this point in the season than I was a few weeks ago, which, you know, to be able to do that in a short period of time uh, is definitely good to see. Um, I do want to make a note. Chris Olave should be playing on Sundays this year. I don't know why he is not, and he will probably end up. Um, he'll almost certainly end up breaking the Ohio State record, uh, program record for touchdown reception. So that'll be another fun storyline to see as well as we go down the rest of the year. But yeah, shout out to Chris Olave for just being awesome at all times. 
Gene, shameless plug, not Chris Olave, but I've got a piece going up tomorrow about uh, like surprise breakouts. I identified one on each side of the ball. And I went with Jackson Smith and Jigba because um, I, I think you were much higher on him than I was. I, I thought that Julian Fleming may have something to say, and maybe he will later on in the season. But right now, Jackson Smith and Jigba is on pace for 900 yards in the regular season. To, to have a third option in the passing game to go with Chris Olave, who I agree uh, could play on Sundays right now. Same goes for Garrett Wilson, who's leading the team in yards. Um, check that piece out tomorrow. I profiled Jackson Smith and Jigba and just kind of talked about his breakout. He had 10 catches for 49 yards last year. Uh, he barely had more yards than Luke Farrell. Now he's on pace. If you figure in the postseason for a thousand yards. And I think that to bring it back to your point, he is probably learned a lot and been able to develop under the tutelage of Chris Olave, who is one of the more special offensive players that I think has come through Ohio state in a long time. He's not the fastest, biggest, he can't jump the highest, but that dude's skill set, his commitment to the game, his commitment to Ohio state. I think you have to appreciate that. And I, I, I know I sure as hell do. Yeah. My favorite nugget about Jackson Smith and Jigba is that Texas did not recruit him as an in-state recruit. And that is just hilarious to me because he's incredible. So another parting shot at the Longhorns as we end up here, but yeah, so that'll be it for us this week. Uh, we're not going to have a podcast for you this week. Obviously, there is no Ohio State game to recap, so we will be back next week with our preview of Indiana. That has been officially announced as a night game, so that'll be a fun little atmosphere there in Indiana. I've actually been there. It's it's a pretty it's a you know it's a, a lot smaller stadium, but it's a nice college town. It's a good you know it, the, when I was there, it was it was 50% Ohio State fans, 50% Indiana. I'm assuming it'll be similar to that this year, especially with the way that Indiana has looked. But nonetheless, it'll be a road game at night against the Big Ten, against an increase in uh, competition of an opponent uh, on the schedule as Ohio State ramps up for uh, Penn State in a couple weeks. So we'll be back with you next week sometime, uh, probably middle of the week. Uh, other than that, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Uh, be sure to check out our stuff at landgrantholyland.com. Like Josh said, he'll have some pieces this week about some Ohio State stuff. It's going to be a little bit different coverage without a game this week, but we're, we're finding some fun stuff to fill the gap uh, before Ohio State takes the field again. But that's going to be it. Um, as always, go Bucks! And for Josh Dooley, I am Gene Ross. See you next week.